you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Good morning, church. I don't want you to think that we are not reading the scriptures in the church. We will be going through that during the sermon. So before, I, before we go into the topic for today, I just want to pause and give thanks to God for a miracle that God has performed in the life of one of our little children. You know, little Chris was sick just the day before, uh, day before uh, New Year. What am I saying? 31st of December. He was sick, and I had this SOS call from Chris, uh, from Roy, and everyone, and, and I reached out to all of you to pray, and, and it was prayers and prayers alone, uh, because he couldn't breathe, and his body turned into blue, and think about that. But we were clinging on to Christ. Praise God for that, isn't it? What a mighty God that we serve. And today, the little boy, little Chris is running around here. Again, and, and such a joy. Thanks be to God. Glory to God. Praise God for that. Thank you. Thank you. Well, church, we, are, I, we, we have set aside the month of January uh, to preach on the topic of ecclesiology, which is the study of church. And last Sunday, we looked at the three different models of church seen in the Bible. And I told you there's a universal church. There's one of its kind. And the local church which is actually uh, situated in a, in a geographical area, ours is a local church. And also we said there's what's called the house church. We then learned the purpose why a church exists, and I gave you three purposes why church exists. Number one is ministry to God, and we said it's about worshiping God. Number two is ministry to believers, that is to nurture the believers in their growth. And number three is the, the ministry to the world to evangelize and to show mercy. And I did mention that, that the all three purposes of the church are equally important and you must be, it must be equally balanced. In other words, every activity that we do within the church must be towards the advancement of one of these purposes. Otherwise, don't do it. Then we looked at the seven metaphors of the church and there are more that you can find in the scriptures. I only picked up seven. And we saw that each metaphor warranted a response from the believer. We looked at that. And that led me to the last point that I did mention. There are only two types of churches that we have. One is a visible church. Other one is an invisible church. And every Christian belongs to one of them. And I asked the question, in which type do you fit in? We looked at this in detail and simply put, the visible church is what the world sees. It includes all who claim to be Christians. And the invisible church is what God sees. Includes only the true children of God. Only the true children of God. And we saw that the members of the invisible church are those who have trusted by faith alone in the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. These are the people who have repented of their sins and who have been regenerated. And those who have committed their lives to Christ. And they are the true children of God. 
They are the born-again members of this invisible church. So it includes everyone who meets those criteria seated here watching online. Not only within our church, but this in invisible church includes those uh, who meet these criteria around the globe. It is to these members of the invisible church that the Lord commanded to observe two ordinances. Number one is baptism. If you are a true member of the invisible church, in obedience to the Lord's command, you would joyfully, I will repeat the word joyfully, make a public confession of their faith by observing, obeying in the waters of baptism. It is to these members of the invisible church that God has commanded us to observe the Holy Communion, the Last Supper. You would also take part, partake in the Holy Communion with reverential fear and a clear understanding. So in the last Sunday in the month of November last year, I believe it's on the 27th, we looked at the theology of the doctrine of baptism. And I would encourage you to visit our website and you can listen to the message again because there's some good thing that you can learn from that on this vital topic. And today we'll be looking at the second ordinance that the Lord has commanded us to observe, the Lord's Supper. So I've given the title, as you can see, The Theology of the Lord's Supper. So again, it's more of a teaching session, so please take down your own notes and, you, and always revisit and listen to this teaching if you need to go through this again. The question is, why are we studying this, you may ask. Listen, church, if only you have a clear theological understanding of the Lord's Supper, you will approach the table with reverential fear. You will meaningfully partake in it. And you'll be able to refute any heretical teaching on this ordinance. So one of the sad ironies of church history is that the practice of partaking in the Holy Supper has become so ritual that it has lost its meaning and purpose. Let me expose you to the various views of the administration of the Lord's Supper. And as you hear me displaying that on the screen, and later as we examine the scriptures, I want you to be like the Bereans. I want you to see if what we teach and do is true. So let me present the different views. First one is called the transubstantiation. Trans means change. Substantiation means substance. So the idea of this group is when the bread and wine are blessed by the priest during the Mass, the bread and wine are transformed into the actual physical body and blood of Jesus Christ. It means that the recipient actually eats the Lord's body and drinks his blood because Jesus is literally being sacrificed in the Mass. This is the Roman Catholic view and I've taken this from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 1376. Is this in accordance with the scriptures? I want you to think through this. I'm not passing judgment, I'm just exposing you to the scriptures. The secondly, 
is called consubstantiation. Now, con simply means is coexisting. So in other words, the bread and wine actually contain the body and blood of Jesus. They coexist, but do not literally change. Christ is actually present within and under the elements. According to this view, the recipient receives the forgiveness of sins and the, con the confirmation of their faith through the elements. This is the Lutheran view. Is this in accordance with the scriptures? Think this through. Number three, it's called the Reformed view. Christ is not literally present in the elements, but there is the spiritual presence of Christ. So the recipient receives grace through partaking of the elements. Now John Calvin takes his view. This is the Presbyterian or and the Reformed Church's view. Is this in accordance with the scriptures? I wanted to think through this. Fourthly, it is no sacraments at all. The Salvation Army, they do not practice any observance of the Eucharist. Their view is they believe that it is possible to live a holy life and receive the grace of God without the use of physical sacraments and that they should not be regarded as an essential part of becoming a Christian. This is the view of the Salvation Army. Is this in accordance with the scriptures? Think this through. And lastly, it's called the memorial. Jesus is present neither physically nor spiritually in the elements, but the Lord's Supper stands as a symbolic reminder of what Jesus did for men on the cross and the tomb. This is the Baptist and Mennonite view. Is this in accordance with the scriptures? Let us think through this. Now that we have seen the different views, let us dive into the scriptures to see what it teaches us on this important, significant topic. The best way to learn is to do a systematic study on this crucial topic. That's why I say today is going to be more teaching. Write down your own notes. When I prepared this teaching, I saw this celebration in three categories. I want to explore each one of these categories of celebration. I always like to break it down when I study the scriptures into smaller chunks that I can take and, and eat. It's easy that way. So that we can understand and grasp the truth. The first one, the way I'm seeing, I'll tell you what the three things I'm seeing. There's a significant celebration, this one. And the second one, I call it a symbolic celebration. And the third one is a sanctifying celebration. So let's examine the significance of the Lord's Supper. Celebrating the Lord's Supper is deeply significant and full of meaning. This was first held when Jesus kept the Passover feast with the disciples on the evening before he was betrayed. Among the yearly feasts commanded by God to the Jewish nation, the Passover was the most important one. Why? Because this feast was a time of remembering. A time of remembering. Remembering what, you may ask? Let's go back to Jewish history. The freeing of the Jews from the slavery in Egypt brought about by a terrible plague sent from God on the Egyptians. And we all studied that in our Sunday schools. 
Following the nine plagues, we know what the last plague was. God killed all the firstborn of the Egyptians. The firstborn of the Jews, the Israelites, were saved because God spoke to the people through Moses and instructed them to do something. The Lord said to kill a lamb without blemish for the Passover and sprinkle its blood on the doorpost of their houses. Then death passed over the houses that had the blood, and we read that in Exodus chapter, 9, chapter 12. To keep this miraculous and historical event always in their memories, the Jews were commanded by God to celebrate the Passover year after year, every year. Now fast forward to the first century. The Passover celebration that Jesus kept with his disciples is referred to as the Last Supper. Everybody say Last Supper. Last Supper. Unleavened bread and wine are traditional parts of the Passover meal. Fittingly and in keeping with tradition, Jesus broke the bread before he gave it to the disciples. The brokenness of the bread foreshadowed the brokenness of his body due to his flogging and cruel nailing to the cross. You know, we read that in the scriptures, in Psalm 22, King David writes about that, and Prophet Isaiah gives a brief, a detailed description of Jesus' uh, sacrifice on the cross in Isaiah chapter 53, that were prophesied the great physical and mental suffering that Jesus would endure in time. And the poured out wine which Jesus and his friends drank that night was a fitting symbol of the blood that would be shed the following day. So as the Jews were to choose a perfect lamp for the Passover meal and their means of redemption, so Jesus, the perfect Son of God, is the lamp of God, who takes away the sin of the world. That's how Apostle John describes Jesus. He became the means of sinner's redemption. In doing so, church, Jesus fulfilled many Old Testament prophecies, including the very, fun, very first messianic prophecy that we read in Genesis chapter 3.15. And since this was to be a feast of remembrance, it was to be carried out into future generations. And that's what we are doing today. The sacrifice of a lamb required, the old, required by the Old Testament was terminated, having fulfilled its purpose in Christ. Listen, church. The one-time sacrifice of Christ, God's Passover lamb, established a new covenant. This new covenant in which we receive the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life through Christ's shed blood and broken body is celebrated as we remember him in the Lord's Supper. So church, I do trust you understand the significance of the celebration now. The same way the Passover was a festival for the Jewish people, this Passover meal is the is to the New Testament believers, to all of us. This is the significance of this celebration. Not only is it a significant celebration, I told you the Last Supper is a symbolic celebration. 
This symbolic celebration calls for a response by the participants, by every one of us who are going to partake in this. Let's dive into the text to see what the scripture says. When Paul wrote to I'm sorry, this is what I oops. Sorry about that. Give me a minute. Andrew, can you clip? Thank you, son. Apostle Paul writes to the saints in Corinth. And this is what he says, and we read that all the time. At least I do that most of the time when I uh, serve communion. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord, which I always delivered to you, and the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And see what he says. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take it, take it. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this, read that with me, in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup. After supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, read, read with me, please. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Paul is telling the church what the Lord has commanded them to do. The Lord puts it very clearly. The response of the believers to this symbolic celebration is to remember. Is to remember. In other words, it's a time to commemorate. That's what this is. So church, it is a time to commemorate, and you might ask, Pastor, what are we remembering at this time? What is that we are remembering? Firstly, we have to reflect. We need to understand the implications of this sacrifice. Just bear with me, please, one minute. I need this. Son, can you please help me out? Sorry about that. So firstly, we are reflecting, we need to understand the implications. The first one, can you, can you hit one, one time please for me? Just once, yeah, one more. One more. He left heaven, no. I'm sorry about that. Just bear with me. This, let me keep going, okay? Please. So the first point that we have to remember or reflect is that he assumed a human body. He left heaven to, to be born in a human body. And the second thing that we have to remember or reflect on, that he became poor that we might be rich. That's what you see in the scriptures. Paul writes, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. And the third point that we remember is that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. He bore your sin and my sin on the tree. Not only that, he shed his blood for our redemption. He shed his blood for our redemption. And then, not only that, he conquered death for us forever. And he ascended back to heaven to finish his redemptive work and to serve as our high priest. You know, church, in essence, this is what we are called to reflect on. When the Lord asks us to do this in remembrance, thank you, son, ask us to do this in remembrance of me, we are not only reflecting on these truths that I just mentioned, what Christ has done for us, we need to remind ourselves 
who we were and who we are because of Christ. That's very important for us. The significance of the Lord's Supper will have an impact only if you know who you were then and who you are now. So not only you, you reflect on this, you must be able to relate to it. This is how he, Paul describes who we were. And as you look at this passage of Scripture, Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, And you, have, you he made alive, that is all of us who have been made as new children of God, we were dead in trespasses and sins. All of you. This is who you were. And then he says, in which you once walked according to the cause of this world. You were a worldly person. And according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in you, you were the sons of disobedience. Yes or no? Yes. That's who you have been. You look so pious and holy today. No, you were not. And then it says, among whom shall also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh and fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And lastly, he says that, and were by nature children of wrath. So if somebody asked you to, to prepare a, a resume, in all our resumes, this is what we would put down, isn't it? Yes or no? Yes. And that's why Apostle Paul said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Apostle Paul said that. So it begs the question, how can this be a good thing to remember, Pastor? You ask, God is asking us to remember, how, how can this be a good thing? If you are staying in the past, yes, it's not a good thing. But, but, reflecting on what God has done, not just relating to our righteous state, but we rejoice in what was accomplished through his death. It is a good thing to remember knowing what was accomplished through his death. Look at this passage, please. It says that in him, Paul writes, we have redemption through what? Through his blood. The forgiveness of his sins. The redemption, you know who you were, and you were redeemed only through his blood. That is why we can rejoice. We have been redeemed. A chief sinner like Paul, and chief sinners like every one of us here, we were forgiven and we are saved. Church, we also rejoice that we are people of the new covenant. Look at the next verse that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. The Lord says, in the same manner, he took the cup after, after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often you drink it in remembrance of me. What does that mean, Pastor, new covenant? What does that really mean? The Lord speaks to us through prophet Jeremiah, and I wanted to make a note and go home and read this. I don't have time to cover it up, cover this topic. is Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. I would encourage you to read that. 
So church, we rejoice, not only we are redeemed by the blood of the Lord, but we are people of the new covenant. Every one of us, those who have accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Because the old covenant that God established with his people required strict obedience to the Mosaic law. The old covenant. The new covenant is the promise that God will forgive sin and restore fellowship with those whose hearts are turned toward him. Nothing more. In order for you to be under the new covenant, your hearts must be turned towards Him. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant and His death on the cross is the basis of the promise. So under the new covenant, we were given the opportunity to receive salvation as a free gift. So church, when the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me, we are to remember three things. Firstly, it means something to reflect on the magnitude of his sacrifice, what he has done for you. Number two is, secondly, it means something to relate to on the wretchedness of your state without Christ. And thirdly, it means something to rejoice that we belong to the new covenant, new covenant people. So along with this comes the responsibility to all believers. I'm talk, preaching to the believers. I'm preaching to those who belong to the invisible church. We are commanded to do something else. Let's read on. Apostle Paul says this, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, we do this on a monthly basis here. You're asked to do something. You proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. So to all who partake in this Lord's Supper are commanded to proclaim two things. Firstly, to proclaim His death. So that He died three days later, He rose from the dead, He conquered death, hell and grave, ensuring eternal life for all those who receive Him by faith. Secondly, not only proclaiming the death, you proclaim his imminent return till he comes. So what that means after Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended back to heaven and sat down at his father's right hand, awaiting the day when he will return to this earth to receive his people unto himself. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, and you're going to do it today, we are declaring to the whole world that we believe in a returning Lord and King. We are telling everyone. I hope you understand the, the gravity, the weight that is laid upon each and every person who wants to partake in the Holy Supper. That's why we cannot take it lightly. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, in summary, we declare the Lord, the, His death and His resurrection. We declare the good news of the gospel. We declare that the redemptive atoning work of Christ. And we're also saying that there is only one source of salvation and His name is Jesus Christ. And He is going to return as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And He's going to reign forever and ever. That's what we're declaring. So church, this truth begs a question to all who are partaking, every one of you, 
Every time we partake in the Holy Supper, we must ask ourselves one question. Are we ready for His coming? Are you ready for His coming? I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Can you all just close your eyes for a moment? Every one of you. Just think that this is the last day on this face of this earth. And today is the day that you're going to meet the Lord. Just close your eyes. Don't think about anything else. Are you ready to meet Him today? Are you ready to leave all that you have? Or every penny that you have saved, every brick that you have built, every person that you have come across, including your children, your spouse, your parents, are you ready to meet Him? The scripture says, therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You can open your eyes now. So church, we looked at the significance of the celebration. We looked at the symbolism of the celebration. That leads me to the last point, the sanctity of this celebration. Who can participate in this? Who can participate in this? Now this, as I said from the very beginning, this is administered only to those who are in the faith. Not to everyone. In other words, those who belong to the invisible church of God. And those who are in right standing with God. Apostle Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Please come along with me as I show this passage to you. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, so clearly an unbeliever will partake in an unworthy manner, isn't it? Yes or no? A person who has not committed his life to the Lord, a person who has not been born again, will certainly partake in an unworthy manner. And he says that we'll be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. However, church, listen, even those who belong to the invisible church, I'm talking to the true believers, you are called to participate in a worthy manner. You are called to examine yourselves, to see that you are in right standing with God. That there are no willful sin that we have not repented from. I'm, it's not asking you to come sinless. Because none of us can be sinless till the Lord calls us home. But He's calling us that there are no willful sin that have not been repented from. That there are nothing that we are hiding in the closed closet of our lives. That we are bringing it out to the Lord. So you might ask the question, Pastor, if I have something in the closed closet of my life, who is going to see that? Who would know that even if I cheat? Yes, you can. We will not know that. You will not know about me. I will not know about you. That is why these members must belong to the invisible church. Because if you belong to the invisible church, the Spirit of the Lord is within you, 
and you cannot flirt with sin consistently. These are believers who are serious about their relationship with God. These are believers who will have short accounts with God. These are believers whose prayers will be like, like that of David. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This should be our prayer daily, church. There's one thing I want you to take. Memorize this scripture. Speak that scripture morning and night. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive ways in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Only someone in the invisible church would make this a daily prayer. Church, when you mess around with the Lord's Last Supper, the consequences of partaking in an unworthy manner is dreadful. Is dreadful. Look at verse 29 and 30, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, the consequences, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. It's not referring to people who sleep in the church. This sleep means kaput, you're gone. You're dead. That's what this means. So what do we learn from this church? This must be administered only to those who are in the faith. There must be a reverential fear demonstrated by those who are partaking in this. No one should participate as a ritual. No one should treat it lightly. No one should partake believing that it imparts grace or, or merit. No one should partake possessing a spirit of bitterness. No one should partake having an unconfessed sin. It's serious, church. It's very serious. There are three basic ways Christian churches administer the Lord's Supper. It's called the closed communion. It's called the open communion and the closed communion. Let me explain that to you. So the first one is the closed communion. What do you mean by that? In this, the church only allows those who are members in good standing to participate in the observance. So if you happen to be a person who is not in good standing with the church, they will not let you partake in the Holy Supper. Because the reason is to protect those who may take it in an unworthy manner. The problem I see with this closed communion is that the church is taking it upon himself, itself to decide or determine who is in good standing. Right? There's a problem with that. This system can be flawed, may be biased. I'm not judging, but I'm fearful about this, about closed communion. On the opposite side of the spectrum, they have what's called the open communion. Now, what does that mean? Some churches practice a radically open communion, which they might call open table. It's an attempt to be fully inclusive. They invite anyone and everyone to participate in communion, regardless of spiritual standing or evidence of open sin. Anybody can participate in that. Here's the problem with that. You may unintentionally encourage unbelievers 
or backsliders to partake in that. People may be pressured to take the ambulance because everyone else is doing it. You know, they're passing the ambulance. If I don't take it, this person might think, think that there is something wrong with me. So let me get it. You understand what I'm saying? This is what they call the peer pressure. Now the ministers also fail in their responsibility to forewarn the danger in an open communion setting. Invite, come ye all, let's drink. We are called to spell out the sanctity of this celebration. But here at KBC and SCF, we exercise or, or, or carry on a method that's called the close communion. Close communion. In this method, everyone present who belongs to the invisible church is invited to participate. So I'm not here to tell Keith you are not a, a member of the invisible church. He would know if he is a member of the invisible church. You will know if you, have, if you have committed your life to the Lord, if you have accepted him as your personal Lord and Savior, if you have obeyed in the waters of baptism as a, as a, as a confession of your faith. You know that. In this method, everyone who belongs to the invisible church is invited to participate. But only after they have been warned of the consequences of partaking in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That's why you would have noticed me always speaking from, from, from this passage. Everyone present is urged to practice self-examination. And then they can participate if they feel worthy and right. In other words, only those who are in close communion with God are encouraged to participate. No matter what method you employ, yet many can deceive the system in place and no one can deceive God. So here's the warning we see in Hebrews chapter 10. I want to bring this up. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an ungodly thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and who has insulted the Spirit of grace. Church, that's what you do when you're partaking in an unworthy manner. For we know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Scary, isn't it? So this is a sanctifying celebration. So I encourage you to partake in a worthy manner. To avoid God's judgment, one must properly discern and respond to the holiness of this occasion. I am talking to those who are belonging to the invisible church. So we are going to prepare ourselves, and I am going to ask Pastor Dio, if you could come to the front as well, please. As we prepare ourselves to come in a worthy manner, there are three things that I want us to do. I'm going to ask us, if you don't mind, if you can stand, please, all of you. And I want you to just, again for a moment, close your eyes and examine yourselves as we have been called to do. Is there any unconfessed sins within me? 
Is there anything that you are hiding from God? Is there anything that you need to put right with God? How is your relationship with your children? How is your relationship with your spouse, your wives, your husbands? How is your relationship with your parents? Are you holding any bitterness in your heart? I can't answer the question. But you know yourself. You can open your eyes and I want you to look at the screen and there are three scripture verses. I just want you to read, let's read together as our prayer to the Lord. The first one is, can we repent? Let's say it together. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Let us not only repent, but let us renounce. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And not only we repent and renounce, let us ask the Lord to renew us now. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. God, our Heavenly Father, you heard our cry this, this morning. As we repent, as we renounce, as we ask you to renew us, and we believe by faith that you are doing it in our lives. And we thank you, Father, that you're for preparing ourselves this morning to partake in this Holy Supper. And as we do that, we become living testimonies to proclaim your death, proclaim your return, and help us to be ready for that return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, Amen and amen.